where can we find hope? I'm not talking about false hope where you're like, oh, it's going to be okay. And deep down you're like, no, it's really not. Or the other hope that's like, I call it toxic positivity. Pretending everything's great. Pretending to be happy does not give a person hope. Can you turn off that thing? Thanks. We need the kind of hope that acknowledges that our pain is real and then helps us see that we're not alone and that there's something to worth, worth fighting for. Where do you go to find hope in your life? For the last few weeks, we've been digging into Jesus' last days on earth and the plot twists that are in his story and in his life. And actually, you talked a bit about it last week, but we're going to go back and revisit a piece in John 20. And the reason we're going to go back to the resurrection, you're like, Amanda, we already heard he died on the cross and he rose. Got it. But the whole reason of Easter, the whole point of Christianity is that he rose from the dead. And so I want to go back. So we're going to John 20, verse 1. I don't know what page. If you get to John 20, verse 1, and you can yell out a page number. Are you... 906 is what I hear. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. There are a few things I need to point out, important details into this text and beyond of what John is writing. Does anyone in here know who the disciple whom Jesus loved is? John. He calls himself that. So John's writing this book. He's an eyewitness. Anything that happens, like this car accident or whatever, we always want to know, were you there? Did you hear about it or were you actually there? He was actually there. He's taking a snapshot, like a Polaroid, of a very big story, and he's giving us one snapshot into a moment. Some people look at this text and say, Jesus didn't rise from the dead. His body was stolen. Let's keep going. So Peter went out with the other disciples, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. You're like, okay, so there's cloths. If someone were to truly take this dead body which is a very intricate process back then. They almost mummified a body. They wrapped it up in these cloths. They would not be lying there. If I'm going to steal a body, I am not going to take the time to unwrap it, gross, and put it back. But the cloths were lying there. That is clue number one of the resurrection. The second one is the face cloth. So after they've wrapped up the whole body, they took a different cloth and put it over the person's face. The face cloth was actually folded nicely and wasn't with the rest of them. Now that's clue number two. Grave robbers would not have taken the body and been like, let me fold them nicely. Both clue number one and two are evidence that the resurrection of Jesus was not just a spiritual resurrection, it was bodily. His body was raised up. 
He is alive. Because Jesus was the one who folded them. A spirit cannot grab things folded and make it happen. Verse 8. Then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first also went in. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. At this point, they had heard all the things that Jesus had said. They had talked, heard him say what's going to happen, but they didn't fully understand. Verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I am not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. So the angels and Jesus both ask Mary why she's crying. They know why she's crying. Have you ever had this time where you like want to tell someone what to do, but if you tell them that, they'll do the opposite? And so you're trying to get them to make it like their idea because you want them to be like, ah, I know the truth, and do what you want them to do. I feel like they're doing this with Mary. They're trying to get her to see the truth without saying, hello, lady, he's, he's risen. Mary is all love and no faith at this moment until Jesus calls her by name. And she's like, I know who that is. Let's remember, Jesus' friends had just saw their best friend of three years go on this cross and die a gruesome death. They are scared. They are like, ah, there's, there was hundreds of them following him and knowing what he had done, and people knew who they were. They are deathly scared that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. And so they hide and so when Mary, Peter, and John announced that the tomb is empty and Jesus was alive, I can't really blame them for being fearful. They locked themselves away because they were scared. And at this point, they probably wanted to see with their own eyes. I know when I've been hurt or experienced a loss like Jesus' friends, it's not easy to figure out how to have hope again. So the story continues, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. 
Do you see what Jesus did? When his friends were feeling lost and hopeless, he went straight to them. He didn't even open the door. He just appeared. He appeared in their midst of their pain and their fear, and he used these words, peace be with you. That's not a, just a cool way of Jesus to be like, hey guys, back. One commenter describes this phrase like this. To wish someone peace was to wish them all the fullness and happiness that God intended. When Jesus uses his greeting, it carries a deeper significance because Jesus wishes the disciples the fullness of life and peace that is found in him. He's letting them know that they can have peace again even after what they've experienced. He even showed them his side and his hands. He didn't get angry and be like, I told you guys, why didn't you believe me? Hello? Instead, he gently, patiently helped them believe that the good news that was really hard was true after all. And then for another plot twist, he did something really crazy. He offered them the Holy Spirit who had been promising to send them and give them this helper. Think of this. The spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus gives to us to live inside of our bodies. Think of the power we have. He is our helper, or it, or he, I don't know how sometimes I mess that up. Our helper, our teacher, our comforter, and so much more. He wasn't telling the disciples, get over it. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past. Nor was he promising that the future was going to be all rainbows and ice cream. Instead, he promised them something that would help them withstand anything he would ever face. And that promise is for us today. So Peter, we, we heard about Peter, he's a disciple and he has walked with Jesus, he saw his death, he saw his resurrection, he saw the empty tomb, and he goes on and he writes a letter because he was one of the people that went out to encourage people who believed and were fearful. And so he writes this letter called First Peter and he writes to a group of people that are like having a really hard time and he's trying to encourage them. And they have pain and fear, and they're being persecuted for what they believe. And so I wonder, as I was reading 1 Peter, if he was remembering the days of helplessness that he felt after Jesus died. As he's in this room going, what's going to happen next? I wonder if he remembered how much he needed the message of hope and peace that Jesus shared with him and his friends. And it says this. I could do a whole sermon on this alone, but I'm going to give you a snippet. Born again to a living hope. Peter is writing this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. He didn't promise a community of endless, that pain and suffering would go away. Peter can't control that. I can't control that. You can't. He pointed to the living hope of Jesus being raised from the dead. Things can easily feel hopeless. But with Jesus, there's always hope. So I was reading this story, and I'm going to tell you, a, a, a read a piece of it to you. 
This is a true story of a guy, and this is his words. I'm a, I am a congenital heart patient with several skeletal issues that necessitate. I ambulate on crutches every day of my life. From birth, my life has been significantly impacted by my physical disability, and I have undergone a number of surgical operations to improve the use of my heart and legs. Nevertheless, nothing in modern medicine has been able to help me heal my body. I've never knelt in prayer, and if, God, if the Lord should one day bring a woman into my life, I would have to sit down in order for her to be my bride. Yes, these realities point to the greater need of being restored. I view my disabilities as a reminder of my utter dependence upon Christ for salvation and life, and I am sure that in eternity, he will restore me to wholeness. The coming resurrection gives me hope that a day is coming when I will be made like Christ and freed from the curse of sin. And he, I remember that he is with me every day. I don't have a physical ailment that reminds me every day. But this man's ability to not only live in the hope of the future, but today inspires me to know and look at what Jesus did for them and know that he can do that for me and all of you. We are never meant to go through difficult times alone and in our own strength. But when life is difficult and everything seems lost, how do we find the hope that Jesus offers? And so I have four things for you to think about and maybe even try. Number one, Find hope by spending time with Jesus. And you're like, oh, Amanda. Okay, we just saw people, you can all Amanda me all you want, how being in his presence gave them hope. And we have that same ability to be in his presence today. If he cared for them, he cares for us. Number two, find hope in God's spirit. I'm going to say it again. If all you hear me say the spirit of the living God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, imagine the power and peace we can feel. Amen. Yeah. Number three, find hope by telling your story. And you're like, I don't want to share my story, Amanda. I've had many conversations with people in this room about sharing your story. Sharing your story with people you trust can relieve your weight. You do not have to carry it by yourself. We are men, not meant to do life alone. So talk to someone. Talk to your small group leader, a friend, a counselor. Talk to me. I'm not very much fun sometimes because I won't tell you what you want to hear. Number four, find hope together. Maybe right now you're not feeling hope and loss, hopeless or feeling lost but maybe you know someone who is. And if that's the case, the best thing you can do for them, you guys, is reach out and support them. Check in with them. Why haven't I seen you? Where have you been? Maybe right now you're experiencing scary, sad, and hopeless dark times. If not, at some point you will. Go ahead, Matthew. There's going, oh, can I have one of those? Don't move, don't move. Don't move, don't talk, don't move. Okay. No, no one's dying. I just wasn't prepared. See this dark sheet of paper? You're going to listen to me. 
Yes, people are going to move, and they're going to give you one of these. Don't look at them, look at me. You may feel like this dark sheet of paper. Painful or traumatic experience can feel us leaving, feeling like we have no color. We have no hope and we have no joy. So what's going to happen is you're going to get one of these and you're going to get one of these. And we're going to play a song and it's really not about the song. It's about your time to not speak out loud, but to talk with God about maybe in words or images of where do you find your hope? What gives you hope right now? What are you thankful for? What is God asking you to do? And as words or pictures come to your mind, I want you to scratch into the dark surface. And notice that the darkness doesn't go away all at once. But as we start to invite Jesus into this dark, color and vibrancy begin to emerge little by little. When all seems dark, Jesus is our hope. And so what's going to happen is I'm going to give you two minutes. You're going to listen to the music and do this, and then I'll come back up and pray. You do not have to share this with your group at the end, but you can. You should not be talking. This is not a group project. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Hearing your love, hearing your love, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be, no place I would rather be than hearing your love, hearing your love. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you, God. I want more of you, God. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. I want more of you,
Heavenly Father, I thank you for each student and leader in this room. And I pray that as some of us feel hopeless and some of us have hope that as a community we could support one another. That we would know that through you and through your spirit and through the work you've done on the cross that we can be completely free. And I pray that as we enter our groups, let us to be open and honest about the, maybe the darkness that is around us for some and for the joy that the others have. So Lord, help us to have open conversation and that we would grow closer to you and to each other through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. You can keep those. You can keep working on them. You're welcome to share them, put them in a place to remember, and have a good night.